Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Father, we're gathered in your presence, in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in our own name, not in our own righteousness, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and through his precious blood. And Lord, uh, you've told us in your word to enter into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise and come before you with singing. So we've obeyed your word, we've done that, Lord, and here we are in your presence. Now, Father, we hold in our, in your ha- in our hands uh, your wonderful word. And uh, Lord, as always, we depend upon your Holy Spirit, the one who inspired this word. And we just pray, Lord, uh, that prayer that Paul t- uh, gave to the Ephesians, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of yourself will be upon us, and that the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened, that we'll know the hope of our calling. Father, I'm just always conscious in a seminar like this that uh, we come from different backgrounds, uh, different levels of understanding, different traditions, and uh, we know that no one man has the total truth, but uh, we depend upon the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher and the unction, the anointing abides within. Bless us over this seminar, just enlarge our understanding, Lord, uh, not just information to the mind, but formation of our character, so that uh, we'll be better communicators of the Word of God to a lost and dying generation. Help us, Father, as we share together over this weekend, we pray that you'll put your seal upon it all in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I would like you to take your, uh, your notes here. And uh, just before we read a particular scripture, just uh, for our first session tonight, uh, where you've got a blank side on that side, I'd like you to just take down a few um, introductory remarks. So if you want to put on your notes there, just a few introductory remarks. All right, now the first thing I want you to note here, and as I said, I'm always conscious in a seminar like this, uh, uh, people come from different backgrounds, different uh, different traditions. How many are like me uh, over the years? I've had so much to unlearn. Anybody identify with that? Just raise your hand. And I've had so much to relearn. So I want you to be very patient uh, because uh, if we upset any anybody tonight, we'll pray for you at the end of the gathering, okay? So the first thing I want you to make a note of is this is a seminar. You'll notice it's called uh, End Time Events. Uh, well, it's End Time Events. It's a seminar. And the seminar, the word simply means actually the dispersion of seed, the scattering of seed. When you look up the dictionary uh, meaning of the word seminar, it's like the scattering of seed, dispersion of seed. We think of a sower went forth to sow, and as he sowed, he was sowed seed on various types of ground. Good ground. We've got good ground here tonight. Everybody said amen. So remember this is a seminar. Uh, so I'm not necessarily preach. I'll try and preach, teach a little bit, but it's a seminar just to collect all the seeds you can. Uh, another thing that I'd like you to make a note of here is, uh, I'm, those of you who haven't heard my style of teaching, uh, preach, teach, uh, I'm what they call a jigsaw puzzle uh, preacher teacher. How many have ever put a jigsaw puzzle together? Oh, all the rest of you? You haven't lived. All right. So when you get a jigsaw puzzle, you know, you just got all these parts and you don't know where they fit. And so the first sensible thing you do with a jigsaw puzzle is just lay all the parts of the puzzle out. And as uh, you know, there's a picture there, you know there's something there anyway, and as you're putting the puzzle together, you pick up a part and you try to fit in here. You don't force the parts, and you don't pick up a part and say, oh, I don't know where that fits, throw that away. 
Uh, pick up another bit. Oh, I don't know where that fits. Throw that away. How many know by the time you finish your puzzle, you won't have much left? And I remember a man said to me many, many, many years ago, back in the dark ages where I come from, Kevin, if I say things that you don't understand, it's not my fault if I'm right. Uh, just put it on the shelf. And over the, over the time, God will have different ministries along that will help you. Ah, oh, that's where that belongs. So when you're putting the puzzle together, you don't force the parts or you distort the picture. But as everything comes together, everything just sort of locks and interlocks until at the end of it you say, wow. So we're not going to force the scriptures. And if I say things that uh, you don't understand or not, not my fault if I'm right. Uh, joke, joke, that is. You're allowed to smile. Okay? Put it on the shelf. It may be right. Don't throw it away. We won't force the scriptures. We won't force it. And hopefully by Sunday night at the end of our seminar together, you'll all say, wow, that's tremendous. What exciting times we're living in. How many can say amen again? All right, so jigsaw puzzle approach. Now, I, I personally believe that we're living in very serious times. Here it is, 2002. To tell you the truth, I didn't, didn't know if we'd even make the year 2000. I never set any dates or anything like that for the coming of Christ because uh, Jesus said we, we won't know the day nor the hour, but we will know the times and the seasons. So we won't know the day nor the hour, but we will know the times and the seasons. So I never ever set dates for the coming of the Lord. And uh, ever since I was in, in America a number of uh, months back, just after 9-11, uh, and 9-11 has forever changed the history of the world. How many would agree with that? Forever changed the history of the world, and uh, uh, it's touching all nations, and, and things will never be the same. Uh, when uh, I got on the plane and went to US, and then we had to go down to LA and to Tucson, because I'm more of a, uh, uh, in fact, they say when uh, Rena and I got married, I was the corn, she was the oil. Uh, I don't know if they meant that I was corny, anything like that, but uh, I just say to him, okay, do you think it's safe to get on this plane? Is the Holy Spirit telling you anything? Just in case I'm deaf, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were sensitive going to Tucson and, yeah, a lot of planes that we've been on uh, since 9-11. So we always ask Jesus to help us. Uh, I'm ready to die, but I'd like to see the uptaker, not the undertaker. How many would agree with that? All right, so... Uh, I don't believe that, you know, with the times we're living in that we should be nervous or terrified. Uh, we should have our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his word. And uh, as we're going to see together in the Gospels and the uh, Epistles, uh, in the book of Acts and the book of Revelation, we've been forewarned of a number of things that would take place uh, right through to the second coming. And uh, I, I wouldn't make this as a declaration, but I wouldn't be surprised if you and I are living in the generation that will see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that would be absolutely fantastic just to be in that generation that sees the uptaker and not the undertaker. Uh, it's getting too dear to die, too dear to live. You're not sure what to do. All right, now, this is not on your notes. This is all by way of introduction. Um, when it comes to end time events, uh, I, I believe that there are a number of, of different prophetic streams, I've called them. In fact, uh, just while I'm talking, you can sort of uh, uh, maybe just take this down. This is uh, just by way of introduction. So there's a number of what I call prophetic streams that are running through Scripture, right from Genesis, right through all the Old Testament books of the Bible, right through all the uh, New Testament books of the Bible, right into the, what I call the Sea of Fulfillment, the book of Revelation. So these rivers 
or these prophetic streams begin way back in Genesis and just go right through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Joshua, uh, Judges, uh, right through the 66 books of the Bible, and they end up in uh, uh, the sea of fulfillment. Why don't we turn over quickly to this scripture? I didn't have it on my notes, but uh, I'll tell you when we start getting into the notes proper. Turn over to uh, Ecclesiastes, book of Ecclesiastes, and if you don't know where it is, look up the, uh, uh, the table of contents, the index, or it's page 180, 827. All right, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 7. Just a good illustration of what I'm saying to you tonight. And here, uh, the preacher, which is Ecclesiastes, that's what the book means, the book of the preacher. And here the preacher says, All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. Let me read it one more time. All the rivers run into the sea. So what I'm saying here, there are rivers of divine truth and prophetic streams or rivers of divine revelation, divine truth that sort of begin in Genesis and run through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, right on through all the books of the Bible. In fact, when I did the exposition on, on Book of Revelation, this is what I found over many, many years, uh, that all the previous 65 books of the Bible actually sort of uh, flow into the sea of fulfillment and find their ultimate in the Book of Elements, the Book of Revelation. So all the rivers run into the sea. So the rivers of divine revelation, the rivers of divine truth, run into the sea, the Book of Revelation, like the sea of fulfillment. Yet the sea is not full, and notice this, unto the place from where the rivers come, and where do they come from? God, who's the source and the origin of everything, unto the place from whence the rivers come, the very throne of God, that's where they return again. So it completes the cycle. So that's just a good thing to keep in mind. Now, uh, I'm not going to be able to touch on all these things. We have five sessions together and I do want to encourage you because this is a whole package deal and each session sort of builds on the previous session, I'd like to encourage you, if at all possible, to be here for all the sessions. Our first uh, sort of introductory session tonight, then three sessions tomorrow, two in the afternoon, then uh, dinner and then uh, tomorrow night and then finalize Sunday night. So we're not going to be able to cover everything I've got here but a number of things that we're going to uh, uh, look at together in the five sessions we have so I'd like to encourage you to uh, be here for them all. Uh, a little funny I have people often saying to me Kevin uh, I, 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 I get the tapes and I like you better than your tapes and uh, I say why would that be? Well we can turn you off. So um, they're the people that have a ministry of encouragement but it's not the same on the tape but if you have tapeworms and you want to feed them that's okay. All right now because I'm talking to intelligent people here tonight, thank you for your underwhelming response, because I'm talking to intelligent people here tonight. Good. I've looked, thank you, that's confirmation. Looking at the whole world situation, and we're you know, talking about end time events, and that there's about 15 major things I've tried to pick out here that you can just sort of put on one on each of those lines as I said, we're not going to be able to cover them all, but I am going to cover some of them. All right, number one, you can just put down right both hands because we've got a lot of material to cover. This is a seminar, dispersion of seed, scattering of seed. Number one, 
is the Middle East conflict. Middle East conflict, that whole thing. What about uh, the Jews and the Arabs? Where is that thing going to end up? What's, what's taking place there? All right, the Middle East conflict. Tell me if I go too fast. I was born in a hurry. All right, number two, Jerusalem. What about the city of Jerusalem? What's going to happen there? I've been to Jerusalem. Uh, been to the two places where Jesus was buried. Both are genuine. Drank water out of Jacob's well. Spat it back again. Yeah, so Jerusalem. What about that? All right, number three. Big question, very controversial area. This is, what about Israel? So number three, what about Israel? What about the nation of Israel? A lot of teaching going on. Well, Israel's going to take the place of the church and uh, a number of these things. All right, we'll be touching on some of those areas. Number four, uh, I was in uh, Europe a couple of years back and we're going again soon. What about the euro dollar? And the 12 countries that have joined together on that in the light of uh, whole world finance. So number four. Number five, and this is closely related, the USE or the United States of Europe. United States of Europe. There's some very significant things happening in the whole of European situation, especially for those who know, of us who know a little bit of history and uh, uh, where the seat of the ancient Holy Roman Empire was. So United States of Europe, number five. Number six, and this, uh, these things are interrelated, uh, the reunification of Germany, so the reunification of Germany, and those of us who have studied history, this is very interesting, that Germany was the seat of the ancient Holy Roman Empire. So it has a lot of significance that we'll be touching on a little bit on that. So the reunification of Germany, the seat of the ancient Holy Roman Empire. All right, number seven, and I'll put three things here, and those of us who read a little bit of the newspaper and uh, Time magazine, some of these things. Uh, personally, I think things are moving so fast that we are in the time of the end. All right, uh, number seven, development of one world government, one world religion. Because some of you have been watching the news lately on the television, television, one world religion who's going to head that up, and one world monetary system. So one world government, one world religion, one world monetary system. These things are developing at a faster pace than uh, uh, they leak out to us. So one world uh, government, one world religion, and one world monetary system. And then with the 9-11 uh, uh, pro uh, problems and the terrorist activity, all these things are precipitating uh, these things faster than, uh, uh, than in, probably intended. All right, number eight, the mark of the beast. And I'm sure uh, most of you got information on the, the lot of talk about the implantation of the chip. In fact, my latest uh, uh, ANZ card, they warned me of this, and those of you who got it, they uh, warned me that they said, uh, Dear Mr. Connor, we are very concerned about serving you and helping you. You are our best interest. And they sent me my latest card that's got a chip right here with all the details. I said, well, it's when they go stick it on here. On here. I might speak in tongues at them. <laughs> so th those things are moving faster than we realize. People used to say back in my generation, oh, it won't be literal, it's just all symbolic. 
Uh, all right, so the mark of the beast or implantation of the chip. Uh, number nine, interesting things here, and I'm not sure if we're going to be able to touch on this, but uh, interesting things happening in the Roman Catholic Church and what uh, they uh, have already planned the new pope once this present pope is, uh, passes away. So Roman Catholic Church and the, uh, the new pope and some plans that uh, are afoot there in the Vatican. All right, number 10, and we'll be touching on this one, just natural catastrophes happening in the world. Just, it's just like all of nature is sort of rising against the man it fell with, because when man fell, creation fell. So um, the, the natural cata uh, catastrophes, so catastrophes in nature, all nature seemed to be rising against the man it fell with. Number 11, which is probably the hottest word out on the news and uh, the media, terrorism in the nations, a word we didn't use unless you parents use it of your kids sometimes. He's just a terror, which you should never say. But terrorism in the nations forever changed the history of the world. How you doing out there, all right? Number 12, we will be doing this uh, probably tomorrow, uh, 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 one I haven't done before in this seminar, but the rebuilding of Babylon and uh, the latest stuff that Saddam, Insane Hussein, how do you pronounce his name? Saddam, Saddam Hussein, what he's done, just amazing. Uh, all signs of the end, so the rebuilding of Babylon, uh, interesting, amazing stuff. And I know that some preachers said Babylon will never be rebuilt again. I believed it would be for years, but I've been gathering a lot of data and uh, uh, just some of the latest stuff. All right, number 13. Number 13, the open, opening of the seven-sealed book in Revelation. Now, I have some friends who say, well, none of the seals are open or they're yet to be opened. I think when we look at world events... Uh, we're further into those uh, opening of the seven seals than we realize. So, number 13, the opening of the seven seal book in Revelation. A little bit more on the positive side. Decade of harvest. Decade of harvest. Harvest of souls in the nations. The newspapers don't give you this type of news, but there are thousands of people, more thousands of people coming to Christ now in this decade than they can say in world history with the population. So uh, that's sort of, how many know that the Bible gives us the news behind the news? So decade of harvest, harvest of souls, uh, increase in the nations. And then uh, number 15, I thought this is enough. Just looking at the world scene and uh, just end time events, uh, number 15, the great apostasy. The great apostasy, and I'm not sure if I can touch on that too much, but it, but it is frightening for us who belong to Bible-believing churches the departure from the faith that is taking place in so many churches. I'll just say this for the moment. I do believe that there are two churches in formation today. I believe the pure, true church, the bride of Christ is in formation, and I do believe that the great harlot church is in formation. Two churches, the true and the false, and these things are happening, and uh, yes, that's, that's a whole whole uh, amazing area in itself, the departure from the faith. All right, so let's bring that together. All the rivers run into the sea. So these things have been foretold us in the Bible. 
Middle East conflict, Jerusalem, what about Israel, uh, one world monetary system, uh, United States of Europe, the uh, uh, Holy Roman Empire, question mark, mark of the beast, all these things have been foretold us in the scripture and they all are found in the sea of fulfillment, the book of Revelation. All right, how many have got something out of that? Thank all you all, six of you. How many feel you got something out of that? All right, so that's our uh, introductory notes. Now I'd like you to turn to your Bible and we'll uh, look at our first passage of Scripture. Now do please keep in mind that uh, jigsaw puzzle approach and uh, also I might say this, if you have relevant questions, um, you can uh, give them to me or give them to Graham and Sue. Don't put your name on it, then we attack the problem and we're not attacking the person. That's if, that's if we know the answer, otherwise I'll get hold of Solomon. All right, let's turn to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to page one on your notes now. So all that material was, was by, by way of introduction. All right, so page one on notes, but we're picking up in Matthew 24. I'm reading from, and I don't know what translations you've got here, uh, I have old authorised, I have new authorised, which I'm reading mainly for public. So if you've got NIV or Amplified or Petrified or Horrified or whatever, just follow along. Okay, Matthew chapter 24 and I'm reading verses uh, just 1, 2, 3 for the moment. No, Matthew 23, sorry, and verse uh, 36, Matthew 23 verse 36 right through to chapter 24 and verse 3. All right, listen to it, reading from New Authorized. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Everybody say, this generation? This generation. Okay, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Everybody say, Jerusalem. All right, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often? I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. How often I would, but you wouldn't. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, I want you to turn over to um, uh, the diagram on uh, page, page 4, page 4 in your seminar notes. And do try and remember to bring your notes again uh, tomorrow. So page four. Now as we go through the, uh, the uh, chapter here and uh, sort of bring things uh, bit by bit together, this is what I want you to sort of pick up. Through, through, through the chapter, Jesus is actually giving a, what, what I've called in your notes here, and I personally believe that Matthew chapter 24 and 25 
and uh, I trust you'll be convinced by the time we're through with the seminar. I personally believe that they are sort of the most important chapters in the book of uh, Matthew, and it's what I call a panoramic or miniature uh, book of Revelation that the Lord has given to the apostles on the Mount of Olives there, uh, Oliver Discourse. All right, now notice here we start off with 30 years, then we have three and a half years. I'll explain this as we get into it. Then we have a, a period of time or point of time, AD 70. And then we'll pick this up, so don't sort of feel frustrated if I go too fast here. Jesus gives us a beginning in Matthew 24, verse 8. He says, all these, after listing a number of things, all these are the beginning of sorrows. And they've asked him, tell us when shall the end be? And in this chapter, verse 3, 6, 13, and 14, Jesus speaks of the end. So he gives us a point of beginning, and he gives us time of the end. That's why we call this the uh, end time events seminar. And then we have uh, this gospel of the kingdom being preached uh, in all the world as a witness to all nations. Now, we're going to pick this up later on, but when it comes to the word coming, you'll find that this word coming is used 20 times in the Gospel of Matthew, 17 of them, the references are in the chapters that are under consideration in Matthew 24 and 25. So it sort of gives you a picture. Now, we're going to fill in some of this uh, last part of the diagram tomorrow, but for tonight. Now, let's start over here. I'd like you to start at the beginning of the 30 years. Put the word up there, birth. So 30 years, and, and these are approximately, we're not setting dates or anything like that, but we have the birth of Jesus. Then the next point, the uh, vertical line here, you can put the word baptism, so birth and baptism. So birth of Jesus, baptism of Jesus. All right, and then under here, 30 years, we have what is referred to as the silent years, the only, uh, only uh, reference we have to Jesus uh, involved in anything was when he was a little boy of 12 and he's talking to the doctors, uh, sitting at the feet of uh, the doctors here and he's asking the doctors questions that they don't even understand. How many think that's a good place for all doctors to be? Alright, so we have 30 years, first of all the birth of Jesus, 30 years, the silent years, and then now the baptism of Jesus. Now, under this uh, vertical line here, that's vertical, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Vertical uh, line there. Put down Daniel chapter 9. I'm not going to be able to turn to it, I'll tell you, but I'll give you the references. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24 through to 27. So Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through to 27. Now, this is uh, referred to as the uh, notable Daniel 70-week prophecy and uh, one of those controversial areas in the whole field of eschatology. But let me just read some of the things uh, that, that are uh, said in the prophecy here in relation. And what I'm doing here is I want you to sort of tonight get the setting of what we're looking at here, particularly in relation to Jerusalem, the city, and the temple. So, you know, for title of this session here, I'm looking at Jerusalem, the city, and the temple, just the setting that we have here. All right, listen to the prophecy from Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24 to 27. Seventy weeks, literally 77s, are determined upon your people, the Jew, and upon your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, 
to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So, the prophecy concerns Judah, Jewry, and Jerusalem, the city, the people. Then he says six things are going to happen. Finish transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, anoint the most holy. Then in verse 25, he gives him a point of commencement. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, so we want to get the setting here for what Jesus is saying, unto the Messiah, or the Christ, the prince, uh, unto Messiah the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. In other words, 69 weeks, which is uh, 483 years. The street shall be built again, the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks, Messiah will be cut off. So superimpose this on here. After threescore and two weeks, Messiah will be cut off. But listen to it. But not for himself, but for the people. For, not for himself, but for our, our sins. Then he speaks of, listen carefully now as I superimpose this on here, the people of the prince that shall come, as we're going to see tonight, in AD 70, Prince Titus came with the people, the Roman people, and what were they to do? Destroy the city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, the temple. And the end thereof will be with a flood and unto the end of the war, desolations. Keep that word in mind, desolations he determined. And he will confirm the covenant. This is the controversial verse. Won't take time to go into that. But I understand it to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He will confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, in the middle of this week of years, Messiah will be cut off. And he will cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And, if you please, for the overspreading of abominations, he will make desolate, even unto the end, the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So you can just take that momentous prophecy and superimpose it on this famous diagram here. Now, Jesus has come in fulfillment of the prophetic word that's been given to Daniel, this uh, controversy, uh, controversial prophecy. And he has come to minister in the city of Jerusalem and minister for three and a half years, then be cut off on the cross for our sins. And then we're told of the prince that would come with his armies and destroy the city and the sanctuary. And so the Gospel of Matthew sort of sets this out uh, very, very clearly in the Messiah's ministry. All right, so what you should have on your chart there is uh, the birth of Jesus, the beginning of the 30 years, the baptism of Jesus at the end of the 30 years, then the silent years, just that uh, record of when he was 12 years of age, and then three and a half years, the first three and a half years of the ministry of Christ, what I understand, the first half of the 70-week prophecy. Then at the cross, Messiah was cut off, but not for himself, and he causes sacrifice and oblation to cease by his own sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own body and blood. All right, now, if we were doing this properly, um, you would need to sort of correspond the Gospels, the Gospel, the Synoptics, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which I have in my own notes, and correspond uh, what they have to say, so uh, to do this properly. 
All right, now the first thing I want you to look at, and we'll just hold the rest of that and we'll fill in uh, some of those things tomorrow, um, the, those seven things, relation, uh, relationship to the seven seals. Let's go back to uh, Matthew chapter 23 and chapter 24 now. Now, as you uh, look at uh, uh, Matthew's Gospel and compare it with Luke, why don't we turn over to Luke's uh, Gospel, the corresponding uh, passage here, for a couple of verses. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter uh, 19 and verse uh, 28. Let's pick up a, a few verses here the corresponding uh, passages. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. When he said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, ascending up to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 19, and go down to verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Now, Jesus has come to the end of his three and a half years ministry. He is about to be crucified, and as he ascends up to Jerusalem, he looked over the city and just wept over the city. How many think uh, Jesus probably weeps over the city of Melbourne? How many think it would do us good just to weep over a city? And listen to the words of Jesus as he weeps over the city because what I'm doing tonight, I want to sort of set the setting because all the controversy about the city of Jerusalem and Israel today and the Arab conflict and so forth, what we're sharing tonight has such a, a bearing on end-time events and what's go, happening today, what I believe is going to, going to happen. So listen to verse 41 again. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Amplified says he audibly wept over the city, weeping over the city. And I know when I was in the Middle East, um, on the Mount of Olives there, and just overlooking the city, we were having a, a seminar with the uh, Messianic Jews, and then some seminars with the Arabs. Uh, you know, I was very emotionally moved over the whole thing, and just remember this passage as Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem, wept over it. And then he said, verse 42, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, and Jerusalem, city of peace, city of righteousness, city of peace. If you'd only known the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you that your enemies will cast a trench about you and compass you round about, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in it one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation wow that's awesome over three and a half years jesus had been visiting the city in signs and wonders and miracles and revelation from the father god but they didn't know the time a city that missed its visitation how many believe that you and i are living in days of visitation today and that i don't want to miss God's visitation, God visiting Australia and visiting our cities, and uh, I'd like to see it increase. Amen? I'd like to see it increase. It's a visitation. And he went into the temple 
and began to cast out them that sold therein and those that bought, saying unto them, It's written, My house is the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to him. All right, now, here's the picture. Jesus has ministered in the city for three and a half years. Now he's coming to the close of his ministry and he's about to be crucified. And so he weeps over the city. And I want to give you uh, one more verse from the Luke, if you've got uh, Luke still open. Uh, Luke chapter 21. Listen to Luke chapter 21. And this is how Jesus feels over the city of Jerusalem. So Luke chapter 21 and verse 20. Luke chapter 21, verse 20, talking to his disciples. And he says, And when you see Jerusalem surrounded or compassed by armies, know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, those in the midst thereof don't go back into the city, and so forth. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things that are written may be fulfilled. But woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword, shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now these are the words of Jesus about the city of Jerusalem. All right, now let's go back to Matthew chapter 24, and I want to bring in something else. So just looking at some scriptures here, Jesus weeps over, he's ministered in the city of Jerusalem for three and a half years, signs and wonders and miracles, the greatest teaching, for full, full, the fulfillment of all that the prophets spoke. And now Jesus weeps over the city and said, if only you'd known the things that belong to your peace, but now they're hid from your eyes because you didn't know the time of your visitation, and he declares its uh, desolation. Now, Matthew chapter 24, I want you to look at something on the temple. All right, in your notes there on page one, just to make sure you're coming along with me, we're looking at number one and just adding some more material here, destruction of the temple foretold and destruction of the city. All right, now Matthew chapter 24, and how many do believe that the word is inspired? The word's not there to fill up the book. It's really important to realize this. The words are not there to fill up the book. So for me, over my studies over many years, this is what I see. Jesus has just cleansed the temple, and he says uh, in the, one of the verses we read, Your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall not see me anymore until you say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Then Jesus went out, and he parted from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple, and he said, not one stone would be left unturned upon another. Now, if you could just look at me a moment. This is, this is what I refer to in teaching on this area. I refer to this as what I call a physical symbolic act. A physical symbolic act. Now, Jesus has been ministering in the temple on and off over the years, and uh, a couple of significant things I'd like you to put down just before I... Uh, take this a little bit further. In fact, why don't we put it on our little diagram here to stick at the significance. Malachi chapter, two, uh, chapter 3, way years before the last Old Testament prophet, the last prophecy we have concerning the temple was Malachi chapter 3. I'll just quote it because 
of uh, watching our time here a little bit. Um, he said, the Lord whom you seek shall come suddenly to his temple. But who may abide the day of his coming? Because when he comes, he comes as a refiner's fire and a purifier of silver. So that was the last prophecy concerning the temple. Now, when Jesus was tempted of the devil, and this has its significance, one of the temptations that the devil gave to Jesus was this, and I think it was in vision. He took him in vision to a pinnacle of the temple, and just putting it in Australia, it's like the devil said to Jesus, look, they're looking for the Messiah to come from the temple. Why don't you cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple, and before you hit rock bottom, the angels will come in and rescue you. Then you don't have to go to any cross. They're looking for the Messiah. Didn't Malachi say, Jesus, that the, the, the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his temple? And what better place to manifest yourself? Why don't you throw yourself down at the pinnacle of the temple? And Jesus said to the devil in plain Australian, get the hell out of it. Or something like that. That's a paraphrase, Connor's paraphrase. It is written, don't tempt the Lord your God. Because the devil only quoted half the verse, by the way. Quoted scripture. So cast yourself down from the temple. So Jesus did come to his temple, and here's the significance. At the beginning of three and a half years, he went into the temple, but it wasn't the type of coming. The Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his temple. It wasn't the type of coming they were expecting. He cleansed the temple, so he overthrew the money changers, upset them that sold doves and the oxen, turned over all money and... Money's running out, kids are grabbing everything. And, he, and, and listen to the significance of the words now. He said, my father's house, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. You've made it a den of thieves. My father's house to be a house of prayer. This is the beginning of his ministry. John chapter 2. Jesus cleansed the temple twice. First at the beginning of his ministry. So John chapter 2 would go there. John chapter 2. Then... Over the years, he ministered in the temple. And then John, uh, Matthew chapter 21, we have the second cleansing in the temple just at the close of his ministry, Matthew 21. And again, he says these significant words as uh, they, they rejected the cleansing. And so he overturned the cha uh, money changes again and those that sold doves and oxen for the sacrifice and so forth. And he chased them out. He took a scourge of cords and just beat them out of the place. And he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Now you'll notice the significance. My father's house, a house of prayer. At the beginning, end of his ministry, second cleansing which they reject, my house, a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. My house, a house of prayer for all nations. Now, my father's house, my house. Now, if you've got your Bible still open, if possible, Matthew 23 and verse 38. After weeping over the city, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers the chick chickens under the wing? I would, but you wouldn't. You dumb chicks. You need to be made into Kentucky Fried Chicken. Because you see, those who of you who are foul-minded, those of you who had fowls, you know that when danger's around and the mother hen gives the warning call, if the chickens have got any Kentucky Fried sense, the chickens duck for cover. They run under mother's wings. And she's clucking around there, peeping out there, say, danger call. But Jesus is just playing, saying, playing modern Australian, hey, you dumb chickens. 
I'm a mother hen. I've been giving you warning call and I've been stretching my wings out to you. Why don't you duck for cover and run for cover? I would, but you wouldn't. I was willing, but you're not willing. You're headed for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Your head's coming up. Everybody got the message. Now, after saying that, verse 38, if you haven't marked your Bible, see your house is left to you desolate. No longer my father's house, no longer my house, your house, desolate. And one of the meanings of the word desolate is uh, devoid of the presence. It's like Ichabod, the glory is departing. Now, let's get this physical symbolic act. So Jesus cleansed the temple, they rejected the, the cleansing, and so he says, my father's house, my house, now it's your house, desolate. And see, Jesus was the glory of God personified. The word was made flesh and tabernacle among us. We beheld his glory. So here's the glory of God. And so what happened? Here's the physical symbolic act. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And when he departed from the temple, he never ever returned to it. And in AD 70, that temple was destroyed and Jewry has never had a temple since. And as he went out and departed, I want you to notice again physical symbolic act in verse 3. He begins to prophesy its destruction, says, See you not all these things, verily I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So your house, desolate, he went out, departed from the temple, and now prophesies its destruction. Now, for those who are teaching that there will be a rebuilt temple, let me say this as kindly as I can. Even if the Jews did rebuild the temple, or any material temple, they'd have to blow up the Mosque of Omer, by the way, uh, to do it. How many know that God will never go back to a material temple again? See, the church is the temple. And he's not going to leave the church. The glory of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he will never leave the church as the temple to go back to a material temple, even if they build a dozen. It's really important to keep that in mind because, uh, as I said, I recognize we have different traditions and backgrounds and I've had a lot to unlearn. But see, teaching is that uh, the, the, there will be a rebuilt temple and God's glory is going to go back and we're going to re-offer animal sacrifices again and uh, the whole of the Mosaic Covenant. You know, if... Animal sacrifices were ever offered again. Please take this kindly, but truthfully, that is the biggest insult to Calvary that anybody could offer. Because Christians may backslide and go that side of the cross, but God will never backslide. God will never go back to the old covenant and reinstitute animal sacrifices, the body and blood of animal sacrifices. That would be the biggest insult to the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because even though God ordained these things, he said, sacrifice an offering they would not. I was never pleased with the thing. The very thing God ordained, he was not pleased with. But when John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God, the Father just burst out of heaven and said, this, the Lamb, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. I was never pleased with those things even though I ordained it. But this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I think that's worth a little baby hallelujah. So God will never forsake the body and blood of his son to go back to animal sacrifices. 
I had great anointings on that till I found I was wrong. But I love the body and blood of Jesus, don't you? Calvary, hallelujah. Very important. So Jesus went out and he parted from the temple, left it behind. Now, verse 3. Just, uh, you're doing all right, just a few more minutes here. And as he sat, now I'd mark the word in my Bible, but just sort of look at me again, just to get the picture. So he's cleansed the temple, they reject, and he says, your house desolate, devoid of the glory of God. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Now, as he sat, a physical symbolic act, because you see, he, he's, after his crucifixion and his death, burial and resurrection, he's going to go back to the Father. And when he goes back to the Father, the Father's going to say to the Son, sit on my right hand until all your enemies are your footstool. And Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand now. This is not just a seminar, this is truth. He is seated at the Father's right hand, waiting till all his enemies be made his footstool. Amen? So it's a physical, symbolic act. He departs from the temple, your house, desolate, Ichabod, the glory is departing. Not one stone is going to be left unturned upon another. Be thrown down, and he sat upon the Mount of Olives. Let's add another thought here, just a few more thoughts. A mountain in Scripture is symbolic of a kingdom. A mountain in Scripture is symbolic of a kingdom. And for those who are a little bit more studious, and remember, this is a seminar. The Gospel of Matthew is built on mountains. Uh, just, uh, just in my own study, just unbelievable. Let me see if I can pick up a, a few. Yes, well, let me just give you two or three. The whole of the Gospel is Jesus, he, he liked a little bit of PE, mountain climbing. So he went up the mountain, then come into the valley of human need. Then up the mountain, down into the valley of human need. Matthew 4, verse 8. Why don't you just take two or three down? Anyway, it's too many. The mountain of temptation. The devil led him up into a high mountain and tempted him, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Mountain of temptation. Matthew 5, verse 1. Matthew 5, verse 1. The Sermon on the Mount. The Mount of the Kingdom Laws. The Sermon on the Mount. Then he comes down in the valley of human need and ministers to the, the uh, uh, demoniac boy and his father. Uh, Matthew 14, verse 23. He went up into a mountain and spent all night in prayer. A mountain of prayer. A couple of others here. Matthew 17, and verse 1. The Mount of Transfiguration. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, who's there? Moses and Elijah. Two witnesses, the law and the prophets. And Peter, James and John, three New Testament apostles. One other one, Matthew 24 and verse 3, what we're looking at. And Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. A mountain always symbolic of a kingdom. So it was a physical symbolic act of Jesus after his crucifixion, resurrection, ascension to the Father. And the Father says, sit on my right hand. And it's when he ascended up on high, that's when he gave the book of Revelation to the Apostle John. And nothing in the book of Revelation will contradict what Jesus has said here. He hasn't forgotten what he said in Matthew 24, 25. All right, now, let's go, uh, let's go in your notes to number two, and we're going to finish on this. Just a few more thoughts, and we'll finish on this part. 
Okay, so number one, uh, destruction of the temple. I just want to come back to that in a little moment as we wrap up. But number two, in Matthew 24 and verse 3, the disciples ask a threefold question. And this is what we've got to answer in the course of our seminar. We will be. All right, the disciples' threefold question. Let me read it again. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Number one, so I'd encourage you to write down these, this threefold question. Number one, tell us when shall these things be? What things? The destruction of the temple, the desolation of the city, not one stone being left unturned upon another, Jerusalem surrounded about with armies. Tell us, number one, when shall these things be? Number two, and what shall be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of your coming? And uh, just while it's here, and I'll, 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 we'll, we'll refer to it more tomorrow, but just in this chapter, Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus actually answers these questions. He didn't leave them unanswered. Go to verse 30, just very briefly. So the second part of the question is, what will be the sign of your coming? In verse 30 he says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. So the question is asked, what is the sign of your coming? In verse 30 he says, the sign of his coming. He answers questions. All right, number three, third part and of the end of the age. Not end of the world, but end of the age. So the end of the age. So, so we've got in that diagram, beginning and end. Beginning and end. We'll pick that up uh, tomorrow. Now, let me just finish on, on this. You'll notice that um, I had you verbalize this before. Assuredly I say unto you, all these things will come upon this generation, this generation. I'll give you some scriptures on that in a little moment. But 40 years later, after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can put in that little gap there, 40 years. Generation, 40 years. And on that generation, 40 years grace. And we find that about three and a half years, actually, in AD 66, according to Josephus, a Jewish historian, who's not a believer, but just a Jewish historian. He tells us that in AD 66, uh, Prince Vespasian uh, came from Rome with the Roman armies and surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Then there was trouble back at Rome, uh, and so he was called back, uh, Prince Vespasian, and uh, Roman armies were called back to Rome to settle some problems in some other areas. And uh, what happened... Luke chapter 21, that scripture I read, Josephus says this. He says, When the Christians saw Jerusalem compassed about with armies, they remembered the sign. And Jesus said, When you see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, know that the desolation thereof is not. Your house is desolate, and to the end of the war, desolations are determined. Know that the desolation thereof is not. And Josephus says that the Christians were over a million Christians fled from the city as from a sinking ship. And he says, three and a half years later, Prince Titus, uh, that brings us to 87 now, Prince Titus came, the people of the prince that shall come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Prince Titus came with the Roman armies and destroyed the city and the sanctuary. And uh, uh, Josephus says, not one Christian was known to have lost his life 
in the siege of Jerusalem because they took the sign. They had warnings, they listened to the Holy Spirit. Now, saints, this is my confidence. I believe we are living in the time of the end, not the end of time, but the time of the end. The time of the end. And if we are sensitive, have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying, how many believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to the church worldwide, the true church, and warn us of things that are taking place? And just that. That's why I believe we have to live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, walk in obedience to the Word. So not one Christian was known. And then the tragedy is that the Jews, the priests, see, see, let me say this quickly. I have to sort of wrap up. It's 10 to 9. Let me say this quickly. See, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit show that they were finished with a material temple. So how did the Father show he was finished with it? When Jesus was hanging on the cross on, on Calvary, the priest was in the temple that afternoon, as we understand, offering the evening sacrifice. And I personally would not like to have been that priest on duty. Because as the priest is standing on duty, it's just like God come down and he tore the veil of the temple from top to bottom, not from bottom, bottom to top, because it's not man coming to God, it's God coming to man in grace. Tore the veil of the temple and said to the ironic priesthood, boys, you're out of a job. Hallelujah. hallelujah. That's worth a little hallelujah. So he rent the veil. So the father said, I'm finished with the material temple. I'm finished with the old covenant economy, new covenant. How did the son testify he was finished with it? Jesus went out and departed from the temple, your house, desolate, not one stone unturned. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit said, I'm finished with it. So when the Holy Spirit comes rushing down from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, they're over in the temple, the priests with their bells and smells and incense and nonsense, uh, for those who know me, and they're performing the letter of the Pentecost, but not the spirit of it. And so the Holy Spirit says, the Father's finished with the temple, the Son's finished with the temple, good enough for me. And so he went to an upper room where there's 120 people praying and seeking God and filled them with the Holy Spirit and said, this is the new covenant temple I've come to live in. Hallelujah. That was it. So Father, Son, the Holy Spirit finished with the material temple. Then, in fulfillment of the word of Jesus, and just to show you that I am finishing, to, uh, uh, what happened? The Jews, the priests, actually sewed up the temple, we are told, sewed up the, the veil in the temple to hide it from the people. They didn't want the people to know that God had torn the veil. So they sewed up the veil and carried on their abominable system until AD 70, God allowed the Roman armies. And as the Roman armies eventually broke through the city and broke into the temple, and threw flaming torches in the temple, setting the veil on a light, and then round the temple were the priest chambers made out of cedar wood and so forth. And in the priest chambers, it was a banking institution, the gold and silver. And so the gold and silvers, the temple burnt. Uh, the gold and silver melted between the stones of the temple, and they overturned every stone, and not a stone was left unturned. And over a million Jews were crucified, slaughtered, they swallowed gold and silver in their belly. The Romans ripped them open. Just tragic history because they missed the time of their visitation. I don't want to do that. That's the picture that we have. 
So Jesus answered the question, when did it happen? First question, it happened in AD 70. We hope you've enjoyed today's teaching. You can also watch this five-part seminar on video at kevinconnor.org forward slash courses.